Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And And you're you're about about to to Get get Jumped. Welcome to episode 88 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, Battle in Egypt, episodes 60 through 63, where what cats eat decides who lives and who dies, poker chips are made out of your friends' souls, and the future is a comic book. Let's jump in. It is the first, these first two episodes are just Yu-Gi-Oh! And particularly, (laughs) if anybody hasn't seen or read Yu-Gi-Oh! So in America, what happened is we got the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime, but like 30 episodes in was episode one. Because the first Mm. part of you, like Yu-Gi-Oh! What is his name? Kazuki Takashi, I think created Yu-Gi-Oh to be about an Egyptian pharaoh living inside of that pyramid puzzle thing on Yugi's neck who was a game master and who could pick up any game and be the best at it like intuitively. And so when Yu-Gi-Oh started, it was just this manga about a dude playing various games and some of them were established games or off-brand versions of real games. And some of them were just sort of gambling challenges, like what we're going to see in today's JoJo's episode, especially the first one with Polnareff. And then they did an episode about card games because the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh! really liked Magic the Gathering. And he created a very stripped-down, off-brand version of Magic the Gathering. And his readership exploded. And people, like, flooded him and his... his, the um, manga company that was publishing him with requests for more information about this game, where could they buy the cards, etc., etc. And he basically pivoted the entire story of his manga into a card game story because of the wild popularity of that one one-shot chapter. I think it was maybe two chapters, but it, it was like it was just a tiny miniature story arc, and it became the entire show and what it's known for and what it has continued to be because of that but anyway these first two jojo's episodes from today really represent or resemble uh yugioh especially yugioh in the sense of like you know playing good fun games and having a uh having like a a really game centralized to like gambling your soul way yeah but not in the yugioh sense where uh i will say this with uh, the utmost resentment to having to say this, but I loved the first two episodes of this this uh, this week's episodes they were really of JoJo's. I, I actually and, I liked all the episodes this week. I thought they could have been cut down pacing wise, but uh, they were all good. Yeah, I will say that this is this is my favorite two episodes of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure I've watched so far. It's like, really good. The, um, and there's also I think this is called Battle Anime, or maybe it's non battle battle anime i don't i don't remember what it is there's some term and i don't know if it's like an official industry term i know it because super eyepatch wolf made a video on it and i love all of his stuff but uh it's basically the idea of of anime who's who have a a conflict that's not fighting so Yu-Gi-Oh is a good example also death note is a good example 
Um, there's some gambling anime that's like really intense that Super Eye Patch Wolf super into right now. There's like like uh, Hikaru no Go is a good example. So if there's any anime in which characters come into conflicts, but those conflicts don't involve punching and shooting laser beams at each other, it's that. And JoJo's becomes that during these episodes, even though it is usually the other type. And it's really cool yeah. and interesting. Also, the original, yeah. like the early Yu-Gi-Oh! is fucked up. It's like really, really dark. Like Yu-Gi-Oh! gets a bad rap. I think it has the Digimon problem where in America it was written for younger audiences than it was in Japan. So a lot of stuff was neutered and was like weirdly childish when it was actually like trying to do deeper, darker themes. Uh, however, early Yu-Gi-Oh, the ones, the episodes that didn't show in America, or at least not originally, when he's just playing random games, like involves him burning a thug alive in a game of chance and like fighting gang members and stuff like that like it's they are like high school students being embroiled in like various crime and gang activity and overcoming it through games and it's really interesting and super different and like definitely worth checking out if you're kind of into these first two episodes of jojo's yeah and after we get finished with jojo's bizarre adventure if you want to vote for Yu-Gi-Oh. To be the show that we cover, I will veto your vote, and I will never let you vote again. Yeah, he's, he's uh, not going to do it. I am, I'm kind of interested because I think Yu-Gi-Oh!'s melodrama is hilarious, and we'll definitely watch the English dub, which is uh, not always great. But uh, yeah, it's a really, really, really long show, and it's periodically okay, <laughs> but usually not. <laughs> yeah, and basically each one of their different seasons corresponds to a different set of their cards coming out in... Right. And I hate it. Yeah. I, I hate it so I much. did. I used um, to play Yu-Gi-Oh! when I was in high school. And I really liked that. And I watched Yu-Gi-Oh! And I really liked it. And now I don't play Yu-Gi-Oh! And yeah. I watch Yu-Gi-Oh! periodically because of how silly it is. And it's really fun to watch because they're so over the top. And like way too dramatic about things that shouldn't be that dramatic. And I really enjoy that. But I think for Spencer it's just too much. Yeah, I I very much dislike it. Um, okay, so uh, before we get started today, uh, a couple of pieces of news. Um, if you haven't checked them out yet, we've done a, a couple of different reviews. Um, one with uh, an artist, uh, another one with a board game company um, that released a couple of those. We're also going to release another artist uh, episode this week on Friday. I'm, I'm trying to figure out in, in the world of... Uh, scheduling things on YouTube to release in the correct time frame. Will and that I'm just crossing my fingers that it works? <laughs> will that have been released on the preceding Friday of this episode, or will it be forthcoming on the next Friday? No, it is coming out on July fifth, so it like... will have come out before this episode is dropping. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you can watch um, it now. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, uh, the other thing that I wanted to go over is that we are going to start doing more of these board game reviews. Um, if so, if you want to get like a feel of where we're going to be going with these, you should definitely check out that uh, the the Robotech one that we covered. Um, one of the things that we're going to start giving to you, our lovely audience that keeps on um, uh, contributing to us is more content and a little bit more of like a wide variety of content. Uh, so I got my, my, uh, first game in for review and I am super pumped about it. Um, it's like a, a like a manga drawing board game that it like represents that. And I am super excited to play it. 
Um, so I'm going to be shooting that this week. And then uh, Blake and I are going to be doing like a quick review over it and what we thought about it. And the other thing is um, we have talked to the creators of the game and they are going to be doing like a, a special episode with us where they're going to be talking about like how they became board game creators, all that different kind of stuff. Because Blake and I both love board games and we wanted to do like you know, do something about, you know, something that we love that also our our audience could pay attention to as well. So there is an entire world of board games that is focused on anime and sort of like, you know, spinoffs of like stuff in the anime universe. I think the, the first time I realized that this could be something amazing was when we got to beta test that Cowboy Bebop uh, board game at yeah. Gen Con. I also um, got to play a, a, an Attack on Titan game that was pretty good the next year at Gen Con. Yeah, so we definitely want to like continue pushing for that because we love board games and we want to do this. And if this is something that you want to happen more so, uh, you should really consider becoming a Patreon uh, subscriber to us. Um, because the more the more that we're able to like supplement ourselves. Um, uh, working on these different podcasts and what we're putting out, uh, the more that we can do those because we can, we can afford more to take time on this. Um, we have, uh, four fantastic subscribers already on Patreon. We really, really appreciate them. Um, but the, the more we can move towards being self-sufficient, the more we can go out and do more badass things like go to more cons, uh, do more review stuff, start putting out, you know, more episodes of videos and more episodes of the podcast so i mean like if you want more content you can have it um you just if you could just support us that would be great <laughs> uh also fun interesting bit of history for you guys for this podcast we originally had wanted to do a podcast for a little while and maybe like even up to a year before we actually started doing get jumped we tried to do a board game podcast and we recorded the first episode. I think we only did one episode and it was just, it was like ill-fated. I think, I think the format wouldn't work. And if we'd really wanted to rework the format so that it would work, I think you could make it happen. Um, I don't know. Now that I've said that, I'm sure there's at least one podcast out there. That's the same as what we tried to do. And <laughs> probably works just fine so like not trying to talk shit or anything i'm just saying like for us it did not end up being anything that we felt like we could release we recorded the first episode and we were gonna re-record it i think for release and then we just never got around to it so the podcast was a board game podcast and we would get together with our board game friends which was something we did fairly frequently anyways and we would play a game and then um afterward we would all go around and talk about what we thought about the game um, and so it included both Spencer and I, it included a couple of our other friends who still live in Chicago. Uh, it included one of our friends, Colin, who we decided was going to be called Colin, the internet's least favorite character. And <laughs> I know I was committed to just repeating it enough times that it took for it to stick and become a thing. And so, yeah, we tried to do a board game podcast is how into board games we were. And it just we it was hard to record because it was like getting a large group of people together for the purposes of playing a game in a way that it's interesting to listen to and then talking about it and like Spencer and I are theater people so we kind of know how to put our thoughts together and talk off the cuff but the other guys weren't and so it was a little bit harder for them 
to be like put on the spot and it was going to take a ton of editing work because you didn't want to listen to us play an entire 90 minute game. You just wanted like, the <laughs> highlights and it was a lot. And so that was our first attempt. And then we, we settled on this a little while later after some inspiration from Jay and Miles explained the X-Men and uh, the fact that Spencer was moving away and we wanted to keep in touch. So, mm-hmm. and also I wanted to watch more anime cause I had kind of fallen off of it. So uh, also, that's what brought us here, but that is our historical first attempt at podcasting. Was that, and is also it illustrates also my favorite quote from one of our friends ever was said right after that when we were going to Gen Con, which is he was just like three best friends go into Gen Con and Colin's there too. That was fucking <laughs> me. I said no, that. it was you. I yeah, Jen said that. <laughs> no, I took I took Colin down a peg. He's the internet's least favorite character. I don't think he listens to this, but I really wish he did. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, uh, the other thing that we wanted to say really quick: if you live in the United States, uh, you have just celebrated July Fourth in Woo. our uh, in our 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 uh, continuing fight against the sky. We shot uh, bombs at it. Um, I don't know if we won or not, but we we definitely tried our best. Yeah. Um, all those and, little. Uh, little colorful bombs that we shoot at the sky to keep it back for one more year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, with that being said, uh, we are going to go ahead and jump into our coverage this week of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So uh, previously on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Okay, so JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is an anthology series. We're in part three, and each part takes place one to two generations later within the same family. So our character right now is like the fifth grandchild of the original or something like like great 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 grandchild or somewhere around there i know part two's protagonist is also a protagonist this time but this time he's a grandfather instead of a high school student and uh the one before that i think was grandfather as well maybe father i don't know anyways so we're on part three um the uh the series has these protagonists that have this ability called a stand where they basically have an avatar that they can summon that can do crazy anime stuff and they do battle with each other that way um the uh main protagonist here is jotaro kujo he is like i said the third uh protagonist of jojo's bizarre adventure and somewhere down the line from the first one and fairly closely related to the second one. The second one's named Joseph Joestar. He has shown up to help Jotaro go on a quest to find a villain and defeat him because that villain's presence has caused Jotaro's mother, Joseph's daughter, to fall ill and uh, it's terminal. And if they beat this guy, the illness will go away. Uh, They've picked up a couple of friends on the way. Um... One of them's name is Avdol. He is Joseph's friend from a while ago. The other one is Polnareff, who showed up as a mind-controlled villain and became an ally when they saved him. Um, You don't need to know too, too much about these characters individually, but they all kind of play into that, like, 80s action anime hero trope of, like, strong silent types and uh, goofy loudmouths. So they are pretty much all one or the other. Um... They are trying to beat this villain named Dio, who, if you have been with us since the start of our JoJo's coverage, or if you know JoJo's independent of our show, 
you will recognize Dio as a big deal. He was the original villain in JoJo's Part 1. He found a mask that would turn people into vampires, turned himself into one, and then tried to take over the world. Um, Original JoJo defeated him. It ended with Dio being decapitated and having his severed head trapped in a coffin with the dying original JoJo, who who then had the coffin dropped to the bottom of the sea. Uh, so the thing is that Dio as a vampire was completely undying. And so his severed head was able to survive in that coffin under the sea. And he also was able to like do these like tendrily blood vessel kind of things. And so he took over Jojo's, the original Jojo's body by replacing that head with his own. And then just kind of waited for someone to come along. And eventually someone unearthed him and he has returned to power. The heroes have assumed that his return to power and his fusion with the original Jojo's body has released some sort of energy into the world. And that's why all these stand users are cropping up. Although that's a little unclear because sometimes stand users have had their stands for years. And I just I don't completely get it. But they said that specifically related to Jotaro's mother being sick is that there's this energy that has awakened her stand and she is not a fighter so her body can't withstand the power of a stand and so she's dying. That's why they need to take Dio out. So they've been on a long quest from Japan to get to uh, Cairo in Egypt and that's where Dio is hiding. They don't know exactly where but they're getting close. Uh, In fact they're going to roll up in Cairo today and as of the last time we were with the Jojo crew Joseph, the uh, older Jojo, he has an ability to take pictures that will show him um, important information and future events. So he just got a picture of a place, which is presumably where Dio is hiding. And they are now going to try and figure out how to find that location so that they can take the fight to Dio and finish this. And that picks us up with episode 60. Sure. So episode 60 and 61, as we've learned from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure most of the time, are is a two-parter. Um, this one is going to be named Darby the Gambler Part 1. Don't call him Barbie. Don't call him Dobby. Don't call him anything else. Don't or do it. his fucking mind. Um, anyways, so the JoJo crew is going to roll up inside of this bar. Um, they are going to ask a whole bunch of different people inside of the bar if they've seen this building that he is like taking spirit photos of. Um, it's like the top corner of the building. So it's actually like pretty difficult to figure out exactly what it is. And as they mentioned inside of this episode, a couple of times before they get started with like the, the main plot part of it, um, they mentioned, they're like, there are a shit ton of people in this city. There are a shit ton of buildings in this city. We're never going to find this place. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you go to New York or Chicago or L.A. or some large city, London, I don't know. Like, if you just have a picture of, like, a part of a building and it's not a famous building, like, good luck. Maybe you'll run into somebody who th- maybe recognizes it and maybe they'll be right. Like, this is this is an admittedly difficult challenge. Um, however, they're asking around in this bar, and then a guy is like, hey, I know where that is, and I'll tell you if you win this gamble of mine. Mm-hmm. And so Paul Nareff, who is probably the loudest and most brash of our protagonists right now, 
he's like, yeah, sure, I'll gamble with you. What's the game? And uh, so Darby is like, he throws two two cuts of meat out into the street because there's a cat nearby. And he's like, we'll bet on whichever piece of meat that the cat's going to go to first. And um, also, I would love it if you would wager your soul. And Polnareff's like, you're weird. Uh, definitely, I'm going to wager my soul. Obviously, yeah, nothing oh weird has ever happened to me before. This couldn't yeah. be serious because nobody <laughs> has strange murdery powers that I have been encountering every episode for this entire series. And we're on episode 60 by now. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on, Polnareff. Come on. Yeah, this guy this guy is basically sitting at a table that is a giant uh, electrical plug plugged into the side of a rock in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Um, these these men it's, are it's not are goldfish. They getting to Dio <laughs> is needing to feed yourself, so they never forget that part. But the rest of it they're just like, mm, maybe something happened once, but I don't know. That uh, could never happen again. Um, yeah. They also, do, they do have a moment where they were just like, "Keep an eye on this guy. If he does anything weird, let's go ahead and take him out." And I'm yeah. like, "It's not weird that he asked him to wager his soul." Yeah. Come on. Come on, guys. You guys are not on your toes at all. <laughs> yeah, and that's like so. We're definitely into uh, Yu-Gi-Oh style shadow games now. Yeah. Although Anyways. nobody has realized it except Darby. Yeah, so um, the cat is going to come down and uh, take a beeline to the uh, the piece of meat that Darby has bet on at the very last second, completely faking us out in the audience. Um, and then uh, uh, Polnareff has his soul ripped out by one of my favorite fucking stands in the show that I've seen so far. Um, he's he's not really like a battle guy. He What he does is that he will rip out your soul and he'll slam it together and turn it into a poker chip. And then that poker chip is attached to the stand of the, uh, the user of it, which is Darby. And if Darby, um, ever breaks off from a stand or loses this part of the stand, um, they will get the, the person's soul back. But if the stand is destroyed or killed while a soul is attached to it, then the soul will also die with the stand. Yeah, it's a really, it, really cool um, way to get around like the have to punch everything method that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has been on so far. Yes, it's a good restriction that prevents them from just beating this guy up and stopping all this shit. They have to play his game. And it it fits. Like The stands have weird powers that can create rules that you have to abide by. So it's been established that something like this is plausible and uh, they play it really well. Um, it's actually arguably better than a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh where like they're holding people at gunpoint unless you play cards with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they, I think they're doing a better job of it here. Uh, and the stand is called Osiris because all the stand users right now have an Egyptian gods theme. Uh, I don't, I don't know that that's super relevant, but there it is. Yeah. Anyways, um, so uh, Polnareff is going to have lost that bet, so he lost a soul. So Jojo Sr. is going to get into a bet this time, except for Jojo Sr. is like, I'm going to do a bet of my choosing. So what he's going to do is he's going to pour a bunch of, it looks like liquor inside of a glass. Um, yeah. Why he doesn't use water, I don't know. Um, why he doesn't but drink the liquor? Because this is wasteful. Uh, I this know it seems very wasteful. Behavior. 
anyways, um, so he is going to uh, pour a whole bunch of liquor into like a shot glass. And at the very top of the shot glass, it's like almost, almost full. And he's going to talk about, uh, talk to himself uh, about how like it's, it has to deal with surface tension. And he's played this game all the time. He knows this bet. He knows exactly how many uh, uh, coins he can put inside of this glass with the glass running over. But he wants to bet against this guy that like, hey, um, whoever runs over the glass first is going to lose the bet. So, um, he pulls out a bunch of coins and he's like, we can put in as many as we want at a time. Um, and then he thinks to himself, he's like, Hey, eight or nine coins is going to be exactly enough to get this over. He doesn't know this, but I know this so I can mess with him and put in more coins at the very end so that any amount of coins he puts in afterwards is going to make it to overflow. What he doesn't realize is that um, uh, the person he's playing against is not only a good trickster with just random things like, you know, betting on the cat that he actually owns, but he is also like a master of sleight sleight of hand. He is also very good at like predicting little things inside of games that he is going to go up against. So he's just like a, he's a really cool character outside of having this stands ability. He's a... He's this trickster because what he does is he picks up the glass to inspect it to make sure that there's no funny business from Joseph. But also he is cheating during that time and we find out about it later. Yeah. And so he's setting himself up to basically trick Joseph into thinking that now is the time that the the cup's about to overflow, but giving himself secretly an extra move. Yeah. So what he's going to do first is he's going to put in five coins inside of the glass. So Jojo Sr. is just like, okay, so I'll put in one coin. And then he's just like, well, let me take a look at the glass. This um, is just the worst game of quarters. Yeah. So when he's going to take a look at the glass, it is revealed that Jojo Sr., as he was putting in his coin, was actually squeezing a little tiny piece of sponge that has a little bit of like water or something inside of it to go into the glass as well. So after he dropped his coin in, he was just like, no matter how many coins you put in, even if it's just a single coin, nothing will be able to go in this glass anymore without running over. But when the other guy gets up and goes around to the other side of the table to take a look at the glass, he's like, okay, I have a better vantage point from here. And he takes his coin and he puts it into the glass. And Jojo Sr.'s like, what the fuck? That's impossible. I know exactly how many need to go inside of this glass. Uh, there's no way that he could have possibly beaten me. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? And he start, he starts to reach out his coin. And he's, like, going into, like, a complete, like, he's, like, hyperventilating. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He knows he's going to lose his soul. And, like, before he even puts his coin into the glass, the, uh, the stand starts pulling out JoJo Sr.'s soul because he's like he's admitted inside of his head that he's already uh, he's already defeated. So yeah. my stand can pull out his soul. I'm into that. I think that's a cool system. I can get behind it mm-hmm. because yeah. um, it, it's like the stand should know, you know, about those kinds of things because it's magic, I guess. But it, it makes sense. Like part of gambling and they, they harp on this a lot. Part of gambling is like um, being mentally in charge of yourself. And so the fact that he's losing control here matters a lot because he has lost control of himself. Uh, he's lost control of the situation and it makes a certain sense that like he 
that leads to his defeat. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great plot turn inside of the episode. Yeah, um, it is. But it turns out uh, that the guy that they were playing against was eating a uh, chocolate bar and he had broken off a little teeny piece of chocolate and stuck it to the bottom of the glass. So when Jojo had put in all of that to make it look like it was about to overflow, the little piece was actually bending uh, or lifting up a little bit of the side of the glass. So when uh, the gambler, uh, Darby, had moved around to the side, he had let the sun shine on the glass, and that had caused the uh, chocolate to melt and it to go down to level with the table. And so um, he had miscalculated because of this, and he was able to put in one more coin so that jo- uh, Jojo Sr. was not able to put in any coins. It's a cool ruse. The other thing that they talked about is like, hey, it's not it's not cheating unless you're caught beforehand. And I was like, no, that's bullshit. You still cheated. It's just you weren't caught beforehand. Yeah. Um, so it's, fuck you. <laughs> it's maybe splitting hairs a little bit. Uh, I get what they're going for, which is basically that like, if you don't catch me while I'm doing it, then I got away with it and we just have to move on. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the way that they say it is like, it's not cheating anymore. And you're like, no, no, it is. Yeah, for real. Anyways, uh, the next thing that's going to happen is that Jotaro is going to uh, decide that he wants to play poker with him. Um, and one of my favorite moments in the episode is that he's just like, uh, he like uh, uh, has has uh, Darby shuffle. And then he's like, I'm going to cut the deck. And then he shows to him that like, anytime you're going to shuffle, I am so fast with my eyes that I can see every single card as it flips onto the other side. So um, he like he like makes him flip over the top cards of the deck and he names everyone as it comes up. Meanwhile, um, uh, Darby is showing that he is also a master of counting things as they run through his fingers. So he shows this by uh, flipping through a book and counting exactly the number of pages that have flipped through his thumb, which is also a really cool ability. But then he's like, he like cuts the deck and he starts shuffling it or starts dealing it out. And it turns out he was going to predict the next card that he was going to be flipping over to himself by doing like this second, uh, it's like a second deal where like you don't deal the top card, you deal the second from the top card. And it's because you predicted the deck and Jojo is going to see this happen. And you just see like star platinum, just grab his finger, just break it back. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty great. Uh, so, uh, the one thing while I was watching this where I was like, why did you like reveal your hand? You know, like, why did you tell him that you knew he was cheating? He would be able to cheat instead of letting him cheat and then catching him in it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, one, we wouldn't have been able to have an episode. And two, uh, <laughs> he, he kind of has to do it this way because, um, the point of it, and they, they keep repeating this, but they're going to do a really good job of proving it. The point is that um, gambling is often a mind game between two people rather than necessarily just a game of skill or experience or whatever. So if you can shake somebody's confidence, you can beat them even in a game where they might be a little bit better than you. Uh, so this is going to end up playing really well into an overall like mental warfare strategy that, um, that Jojo is running against these guys. And I think that that's great. It works really, really well. 
Yeah. So um, he pulls in a kid, a random kid that he sees outside of the bar. Um, he is going to be dealt a, a hand of cards and he is going to end up losing the first hand of cards to Darby. Um, when this happens, he, he pulls um, in the kid so that they have an impartial dealer. Yeah. So after this happens, um, he, he, um, starts to think to himself that something might be up here. Um, but instead of telling him that he thinks that something might be up here, he just goes ahead and he, he ups his wager um, against Darby for the next hand. And he bets not just his soul, um, but also uh, the the soul of, uh, oh gosh, who is left here? I kept on- Avdol. Avdol. Um, and Avdol- so, so Jojo lost half of his soul on the first hand. Correct. And then he's going to make this like huge power play. Yeah. So he bets his soul. He bets Avdol's soul. And then, it, and then, so uh, Darby thinks that he has like major upper hand here because we're going to find out that Darby has hired everybody in the bar and in sight. They are all working for him. And so basically Jojo could have picked anybody to be an impartial dealer and would have failed because they are all working for Darby to give him the win. Um, So he is feeling really confident and he's like, you have another soul that you have to wager and I'm going to keep raising you here. And he has more chips. So he's able to raise and you, you basically have to match it uh, in poker. And so he's like, I'm going to raise you. Uh, you have to uh, wager Polnareff's, or sorry, uh, Kakyoin's soul. And Kakyoin is a previous companion of theirs who is currently not traveling with them because he's in the hospital getting his eyes checked. Because yeah, uh, somebody of something cut him in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so there, he's like, you know, he's one of your companions. He's been a part of this, so he you have to wager him as well. And so JoJo's like, all right, well, uh, if I have to, I have to. But also, surprise, I'm going to raise the wager again. Yep. And um, this time, what he does is he raises it by um, anteing up his mother's soul because he justifies it by being like, well, she's involved in this too because she is sick from all of this and I'm on this trip to save her life. It's the whole reason I'm here. So I'm sure that she will be okay with me wagering her soul. And he doesn't say this, but also like if they get killed, they won't be able to stop Dio. And so she'll die anyway. Yeah. So it works. And then best part about this is that in order to get this wager in front of him, he's like, uh, Darby, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to put up as your auntie, the information about Dio's stand. And what is its secret? And Darby starts to go into a cold sweat and he's like, okay, but I'm still going to win here. But instead of looking at any of the cards he's been dealt, because the, the fucking Darby has been dealt four Kings, Jojo is going to take his five cards and not even fucking look at them. And he is going to be in Darby's head. And one of my favorite parts about this is that randomly when, you know, when you're like, you know, 15 and you're sitting at home and you can't go to sleep and randomly you're watching stuff at night and it's like 
ESPN poker tournament is on and you have to listen to those people talk about these, how they're like in each other's minds They're He's controlling his mind. I would hear that all the time when people would talk about like, you know, controlling how the other person was playing the game by how much they had raised and re-raised and uh, put things on the line. Like they were in complete control, no matter what this is what fucking Jotaro is doing in this moment. He is completely in Darby's head. He has turned the tables on Darby because again, earlier Darby forced him to raise um, Paul or Kakyoin's soul by, um, pushing out more chips than Jojo had at the time. And he felt in control up to that moment, but he was a little shaken because Jojo hasn't looked at his cards at all. They've been dealt. They're sitting on the table, completely untouched face down. Presumably Jojo has no idea what they are. And he is completely calm, totally unfazed about being asked to continue to wager people's souls and Darby is like, this guy should be freaking out right now because I, I'm raising my wager in poker. That is an indicator that you think you can win. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you might bluff uh, to try and win a mind game, but like, you know, at its most basic, you don't raise if you're if you don't think that your hand is better than everybody else's hands because you're trying to win the pot. And here, yeah. the pot is people's souls, and JoJo is yeah. now gambling not just with his own but with other people around him. He is now gambling with their entire crew. If he loses, nobody is there to take over anymore. And they have lost fully. And then he puts his mom's soul in too. And he doesn't have to do this, but he raises it after this whole time. And Darby just loses it. And the last nail in the coffin is that you you don't have any more people's souls on your side to wager. So you can wager this information about Dio. And what Darby knows is that he has to win. He knows it because he's... He has stacked the deck in his favor. It's not possible for Jojo to win because he has like one of the best hands in poker and he has an inside man dealing the deck that's been giving Jojo shit cards. There's no way. And he's like, did Jojo's star platinum? It's fast. Did he switch our cards? Like I'm looking at my hand. It's still the same. Like how, how is he so confident? Yeah. What kind and of the trick way is that he, he playing? Like, the way that he like builds up this moment is fucking fantastic too. Jotaro lights a cigarette off of uh, Star Platinum and he does it so fast that he doesn't even see him light the cigarette. And then he looks away for a moment and looks at the kid and then looks back and Jotaro has a martini and he's just like, when did you get that? Yeah. So he's he's playing tricks. Maybe Star Platinum has messed with the hands and I'm not as able to win as I thought. But also there's the other element of this, which is you don't reveal Dio's secrets. Dio is first serious and he is very, very dangerous. And you are like his subordinate. You're taking care of him. Darby's like, I can't reveal his secret because he'll kill me. But if I win, it doesn't matter. But but <laughs> I can't reveal his secret. Like he's just stuck in this loop yeah. that is causing him to unravel. And Jojo's just yeah. sitting there completely calm, just like are you done wagering? Yeah. And he goes into a complete shit spiral here. He like, he cannot, he cannot say the words I call. He cannot get the words out. And so he ends up going completely catatonic. And because of this, his stand is broken. His, the souls are returned and he's just left laying there on the ground, completely like uh, slouched over forward. Like, 
his hair even turns white. It's a really crazy moment in the show, but like also kind of like a, a cool way to defeat somebody without having to defeat them. Um, yeah. This just is going to be the his end mind of those episodes. so fully by being that confident. This is the end of the episodes, but it isn't going to be complete without the last moment where they realize that Jotaro has been bluffing the whole goddamn time. Yep. Um, he reveals that his cards were basically nothing and that he completely, completely mind fucked uh, uh, Darby. The, yeah, Jotaro's the cards time. were all total random trash. There was no synergy. It was literally just going to be a high card hand. Like nothing. Mm. He had nothing. And he yep. just won by being that confident. Yeah. So this takes us into the next episode uh, or the next two episodes. These episodes are going to be Hall Horse and fuck it. It's Boingo. His it's Boingo. name is Boingo. I swear I, to God, if I have to read that name anymore, it's going to make me so mad. Well, you're, um, you're in luck because I wrote it down as Boingo in the notes this time. <laughs> great. So you, uh, astute this... listeners will remember that there was Mondata and I think the other one's called Zanyata. And we were really confused because we heard them saying Oingo and Boingo. And then after we recorded that episode, one of our listeners pointed out that it is Oingo and Boingo, but it was changed in the English uh, version and subtitles to avoid copyright disputes with Oingo Boingo, who these characters were explicitly named after. So uh, we're calling him Boingo this time because that's his, his fucking name. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so uh, what is going to be happening inside of this uh, these episodes? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and we're going to go over this like much faster than the last episode, mostly because like these episodes are fun. Um, but one of the best parts about them is just kind of watching them. Um, and there is a lot of like very pregnant pauses inside of these episodes um, because they do a lot of like build up and uh, and haul horses. He's very good at taking a lot of time to do things. Um, anyways, so we're going to start with Hall Horse, and he is uh, going back to Dio's lair. Um, let's and he let's is talk about these talk two characters Dio. real quick. Hall Horse yeah. is a, this guy that we've seen several times. He has a stand that creates a gun that shoots spirit bullets that I think he can like manipulate how fast they move or what their trajectory is. He's really dangerous, but he's also a coward. So he never shows up alone, and he never works alone. Um, and he, he would probably be one of the most powerful opponents that they've had if he weren't such a coward. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much every time they beat his partner, he is beaten because he runs away and he won't work alone. He has shown up twice before, I believe, each time showing up with somebody else that was beaten and that that led to his uh, implicit defeat. defeat. Uh, Boingo is part of a pair called Oingo and Boingo. Oingo's is the older brother. I his stand allows him to change his shape and face and voice so that he can impersonate others. And Boingo's stand allows him to have a comic book that predicts the future. And he seems fairly passive about it. Like it seems like something that he has access to, not something that he creates or does. So he just kind of waits for the comic book to tell him what's going to happen. And it, it does seem to be a little bit, uh, it, it's centered around Boingo himself so it's not going to tell you just like randomly what's going on. And uh, it does seem to be somewhat influenced by Boingo's uh, intentions. Although you could make the argument that it's just showing you what happens in the future and that that happened because of Boingo's intentions. Uh, but yeah, it, he doesn't have a lot of control over it. So, um, but 
there's future predictions. And the, the predictions always come true, but they are not necessarily always what they seem. Yeah. So, um, these, this episode is going to start with, um, Hall Horse and he's going to see Dio. Um, he is, uh, really, it's, it's really funny when he's walking around to begin with, because he's like, it's really dark in here. Why is it so dark in here? It's the middle of the day. Just open a window. Come on. And then he <laughs> lights a lighter so that he could like light his cigarette, but at no point he does, he do it so he could actually see where he's going. And I was just like, okay. Um, and then he, he turns a corner and there is like a little bit of a, a candle that's got like a blue flame, which I think is a little bit cool. Like Dio's Dio is making it to where the flame isn't going to burn normally um and he is coming up to dio and dio's just like hey uh you need to go figure out what's going on i know that you need a partner but you need to go take care of this and Hallhorse is like i don't want to deal with this anymore i don't really have to take care of this if dio is really going to try to control me and take care of me i don't know why because i'm a very powerful stand user as well and he is just he is just a man and so dio turns around and uh like sits down um right after also revealing that his body isn't completely immortal yet because he like burns his finger on the end of like Hall Horse's cigarette. Oh yeah. Um, and he's That's like, like super yeah. important. I forgot to write it down. <laughs> yeah, he like has a healing factor, but it's not completely there because he sealed himself to Jojo's old body. Whatever. Um so Dio sits down and he starts reading a book. Hall Horse is just like, I'm gonna fucking just shoot him in the head. And so he just like pulls out his gun. And like aims it at at uh, at, at Dio's head, and uh, then right before he's gonna shoot, he like cocks the gun, and he like goes completely silent. So there's no way that Dio can see him, and then Dio just appears behind him, and he does it in a way where he's like it, it, the artwork suddenly shows that there are a bunch of cobwebs inside of the area and that um not only has Dio moved super fast but Dio has appeared behind him without even cutting any of the cobwebs that are around him so either he just appeared there or he is so fast so fast and so delicate that he was able to move there without being completely noticed at all uh, yeah. Dio is going to commend him for being like so cold hearted that he's going to be able to just shoot him in the back of the head without being noticed. Um, and if specifically he wasn't that Dio. he's not hyperventilating and he's not sweating, like he's he's yeah. cold and calculated while he's considering this. Yeah, and he's like, "You need to go do this, or I am actually going to kill you." And don't fail me again. And yeah. then as soon as he does that, he immediately goes into a cold sweat and starts hyperventilating. And he's like, "Okay." Dio is above me. I need to go do what he says. Okay, I'm going to go do what he says. <laughs> yeah. So he gets Boingo. He he leaves Egypt where he is, goes to where Boingo is. I, well, they might be in Egypt, but they're not in Cairo. So he goes to pick up Boingo because he knows that Boingo's power can predict the future. And so he brings him back and he's like, okay, we're going to use your ability to predict the future. And that way we can kill Joe Taro and his friends. And... Mm-hmm. Boingo is like, okay, well, here's my comic book, and this is what the future is. And it has it has Hall Horse like kicking, like seeing a beautiful woman and then kicking her in the throat, and then having her reward him with uh expensive jewelry. And he's like, This is insane. None of this would happen. Why would I ever kick a woman in the neck? Like your predictions are bullshit. And then it happens. 
Yeah. And the reason that it happens is that he, he randomly like thinks, okay, well he, he, I guess he's going to predict the future. So I need to go ahead and do it. And then it turns out where he kicks is actually where a scorpion is on this woman's neck. And the woman is so grateful when she realizes that there was a scorpion there that she gives him her necklace. Um, and he's like, Oh my God, you actually do predict the future. This is amazing where there's no way we can lose. That's the thing about Boingo's predictions, and that's what it works really well in universe, I think, but it works particularly well out of universe because it's these episodes in particular are funny and they are sitcom episodes when Oingo and Boingo are around. And the the comedy comes from the fact that his predictions are always true, but they're not always what they seem. And the story is being told in like really it's being told from one major beat to the next. So the story of the comic book was there's a beautiful woman. You kick her in the neck. She rewards you. But the real story involved this whole thing about spotting a scorpion, just killing the scorpion. She was grateful because she could have died. Like it has all these beats, but the, the comic book doesn't include those beats. So the future prediction can be confusing and can seem ridiculous. And then it's funny because it, you get to watch it unfold and just it's kind of delightful to see it unfold and how everything clicks into place and how the gaps between the panels of Boingo's comic book uh, create a logical connection from one action to the next. Um, and then what we've seen previously was that uh, his older brother Oingo transformed into Jojo to try and not be killed by the Jojo crew and then was the victim of a punishment that Boingo's comic book had said was meant for Jojo because the character looked like Jojo. So there's interesting challenges and comedy to be drawn from this comic book predicting the future. But now whole horse is bought in. He thinks this is, this is true. I got to go with it. All right. You say he, he is bought in, but that's bullshit. He, uh, he bought he, in, he's he bought, bought in, in, but the, then the next thing he's asked to do, he doesn't want to do it. And he starts to doubt again. That's what yeah. It's. He think of it as like a timeshare where he got like you know he got he got sold a timeshare, but he only bought in to go twice a year. Um, so <laughs> he's he's in, is but he's not in all the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's gonna share it with five of his friends. It's a really good deal, Blake. Let me take you over to this Marriott, and we can talk some more with this guy. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so the the episode is going to uh, turn into a little bit of a hijinks part uh, where um, he is told uh, that if he sticks his fingers in the nose of uh, Palmeref, he is going to be able to defeat the entire JoJo crew. He does this, but he just he he's like, I did it, but I don't really believe it, and uh, maybe it's not going to work. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, and so he also he's... he does not know how to get from point A to point B. So. One panel has him with his fingers in Polnareff's nose, and the next panel has all of Jojo's friends lying, bleeding, incapacitated. And yes. he's like, how do I get there from here? Like, I've got my fingers in his nose now. What do I do next? 
Yeah, and so he takes his fingers out of Paul Nareff's nose and then holds him at gunpoint. But he specifically says inside the comic books that he does not use his gun. Because if he uses his gun, it is not going to work out correctly for him. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, so I need to use my gun, but I can't use my gun. I need to use my gun, but I can't use my gun. And then he holds Paul Nareff hostage. And he does this by, like, having Paul Nareff, like, stand in front of a corner. And he's behind the corner holding the gun to Paul Nareff's head. And uh, Paul Nareff is trying to signal to the rest of the JoJo's crew that he's being held hostage by like talking to them normally and trying to point at uh at Hall Horse with his tongue. It's a very silly moment. It is. Um, it, and it it shouldn't have worked for me, but it did, and I don't know why, but I liked it. <laughs> Anyways, um he is in he is going to end up uh falling forward because Polnareff ends up sneezing because he has his fingers stuck in his nose a minute ago. Um uh-huh. And this upset his nose. And so uh, when he falls forward and sneezes, Hollow Horse is going to fall out. And then when he falls out, because he didn't predict this, he gets held at uh, knife point. But it turns out uh, that right before he is able to be attacked by the JoJo's crew, they are all hit by a fucking car that is well, driven specifically, up. he... So Hollow Horse gets thrown into these jars of oil when Polnareff sneezes. And so oil gets everywhere. And Whole Horse, when he got back home from the airport, uh, uh, when he was going to, to get Boingo, he shot a dude's ear off because the dude was like trying to stat to him about getting in a cab. And so he just shoots the guy's ear off. So this guy is driving and sees Whole Horse and is like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy for shooting my ear off at that airport. But there's oil everywhere, so the car careens out of control and hits everybody in JoJo's crew instead. I forgot he shot that guy's ear off. Huh? <laughs> I forgot he had shot that guy's ear off. Yeah, he's just like, they're like, what, you want to fight about this cab? And he's like, he just shoots the dude's ear off. Yeah. Okay. So they're incapacitated and he wants to take them out, but he wants to consult this, uh, the, the prediction first, the prediction tells him that that's not, he's how he's going to take them out. So he runs off with Boingo. And then the thing inside of Boingo's prediction is that they're going to all try to help each other up. They're going he's going to then fire his gun into this pipe where these guys are at exactly high noon. If he does this, it's going to go through the pipe and it's going to shoot Joe, uh, Jotaro in the head. But this is my favorite joke inside of the episode. He's like, you can't hold them hostage. You have to give them money. And he's like, fuck that. I'm going to hold them hostage so they'll open up this pipe for me. And he pulls out his gun. And then Boingo is just like, that's not also not going to work because nobody else can see stands unless they're a stand user, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he has to pay them, but then he doesn't have any money. So he has to get Boingo to give him money. And then they drop the money everywhere. And it's just like... That this is all happening while they're counting down the seconds to high noon. They yeah. finally get access to this pipe, and it, it is noon now. And so Whole Horse fires the like four bullets or whatever into it, and they go through the pipes and sort of follow the the twists and turns of the pipe system to um, to go to hit Jojo, who is standing and right in front of the opening of the other pipe helping Polnareff up and Hall Horse and Boingo go to watch as this prediction comes true. And they finally kill Jotaro. And then Polnareff sneezes in Jotaro's face who jerks back and the bullets shoot past harmlessly. And Polnareff's like, sorry, my nose is still itchy because fucking Hall Horse stuck his fingers up there. (laughs) But like, I, I was like, what? Like, 
it was predicted that he would be shot. Why didn't it come true? And so, so too do Hallhorse and Boingo wonder this. Yeah, and it turns out that Hallhorse's watch was a little bit fast, so it wasn't actually noon yet. And so he was just like, "Oh shit, I didn't do that correctly. Uh, you must have been incorrectly predicting this. Like you didn't see this coming. Why didn't you see this coming?" And as he's arguing with Boingo, his bullets are coming back around, and they shoot him in the face instead. And that's how Hall Horse died. He he actually survives. <laughs> he it's does. A, yeah, they said uh, they the hospital or the ambulance carts him away, and as they're leaving, they say he got shot in the head, or it looks like he got shot in the head. A bullet went in and out, and if it had been an inch lower, he would have died. Oh, great! So I it like grazes his that. skull and injures him very badly, but like he's alive. Uh, so yeah. Boingo is left alone, and they say it's something about like. The last part I didn't completely understand because it's a picture of Jojo being shot. And then when Paul, or when Hall Horse gets shot because he did the prediction wrong, Boingo's like, oh, I get it now. This was a picture of Hall Horse. And I don't get it because it wasn't a picture of Hall Horse and it, the picture didn't change. Um, like, I'm perfectly happy with they didn't do the prediction right and so the prediction backfired. But uh, I, don't, I didn't get that last part, but... I'm, I'm going with they didn't do the prediction right, so it backfired. It's also funny, so it's okay. And yeah. then Boingo's like, maybe the problem is that I've been doing this all wrong. Instead of trying to kill JoJo's friends and to commit crimes, maybe what I should do is use my power to predict the future for good. If I have good intentions, the predictions should lead me to a good place. And I can use my ability to help people in need and to prevent people from being hurt or killed. And I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And he kicks a box out of the way as a part of his sort of exultant self-realization. And the box lands on this dog's head. And if you've been listening to our show or watching the show with us, you will know this dog. His name's Iggy. He joined JoJo's crew a little while ago. He is a foul-tempered little Boston Terrier kind of thing. And he is also a stand user and is really powerful. And so the box lands on Iggy's head, who then snarls at Boingo. And then the narrator tells us that Boingo ends up in the hospital, too. <laughs> because you don't fuck with Iggy. Anyways, <laughs> That's right. Um, stick with us after these credits and listen for a preview of our next episode. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level six sound wizard. Level up. Our podcast is ad-free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at BNS Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash get jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every Sunday. On iTunes. Google Play. Stitcher. Buzzsprout. Or wherever you get your podcast from. And hey, thanks for listening. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Hunter x Hunter episodes 83 through 87. Where Killua is going to burn a chimera ant so hard, he's going to have to go to the hospital. Can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. <laughs>